Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions, and also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also, of course, brought to you by PolicyPack Software, now part of Netricks, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus much more. So the final warning, the 5 Bytes Podcast Holiday Tech Giveaway that gives you the opportunity for one lucky winner to win an Elgato Stream Deck, a Raspberry Pi 4, and also an awesome book on running VMware ESXi on a Raspberry Pi. I just checked before recording this episode, there's been 202 entries so far. So if you'd like to enter the competition, be sure to go to 5bytespodcast.com and the link to enter will be around the top. You can have multiple entries by doing things like um, subscribing to the podcast YouTube channel, um, retweeting a tweet, uh, a few different actions. So very easy to enter. And on December 31st, I'll be randomizing, I'm recording myself, randomizing and selecting a random winner. So still a pretty decent chance you could win if you want to enter now because there's not all that many entries that makes it all that impossible. So be sure to enter for your chance to win. And let's start with some news. And this marks the third episode of the podcast covering the Log4j vulnerability or Log4Shell, as it is also called. Uh, Martin Zugek published another fascinating report for Bitdefender going through some of their findings about the ongoing attacks and activity relating to the vulnerability. Interestingly, it seems there's a lot of activity from the US and Germany in particular. Google's analysis shows that over 35,000 Java packages contain Log4J vulnerabilities. So couple that with malware tech's sharing of a report that showed HTML headers of over 10,000 websites that were potentially vulnerable. This thing is really, really widespread, which I think everyone pretty much knew right away once it first got disclosed. And as per Martin's report, the US and Europe seem to be particularly targeted, which on other episodes of the podcast, I covered some industry analysis that was suggesting that the US and Europe are particular targets. Uh, because they're not as ruthless, they obey by laws, and there's only so much they can do to take down these cyber gangs. Whereas in other countries, if you mess with them, you'll lose your head. And in some more unfortunate news pertaining to this particular vulnerability, for those who patched to the RC patch for version 2.15.2.15 of Log4j are those who patched a third-party vendor product that uses Log4j, and that they patched it relatively quickly after the initial announcement. Well, the bad news is that, as I covered on last week's episode, that patch only worked for those who used Log4j with the default setup. Any vendor or customer using a non-default setup of the service was not patched properly. It was incomplete. So a version 2.16 was released to patch again. Well, 
This week, unfortunately, a version 2.17 has now been released. This is because version 2.16 contained a denial of service vulnerability in that. And this new vulnerability is now being tracked as CVE-2021-45105. BleepyComputer.com reports that if a string substitution is attempted for any reason using a reported certain string, which is like a series of dollar signs, parentheses or curly brackets, and colons, it's a pretty short string, and I'll show an example of it on the YouTube edition of this episode. But essentially, if you trigger this particular string, it goes into infinite recursion, and it causes an application to crash. So, you know, denial of service, you're brute forcing and recurring our recursiveness over and over again, uh, just bringing down an entire service. Things also took a further turn this week for the worst in terms of general attacks to using the vulnerability. The record media reported that the Conte Cyber Gang has become the first professional ransomware operation to adopt and incorporate the Log4Shell vulnerability in their daily operations. The group specifically targeted VMware vCenter servers, which are known to be vulnerable to the Log4Shell attacks, and where they used the exploit to gain access to the servers and move laterally across enterprise environments. ZDNet reports that researchers with security firm Advanced Intelligence suggest starting on December 15th, the gang began actively targeting the vCenter networks for lateral movement. And I've been talking about the different vendor security advisories over the last couple of episodes and had covered VMware on those episodes. Luckily at this point, many more of the VMware products now have workarounds or mitigations available. There doesn't seem to be a permanent patch in place for vCenter yet, but still, do the mitigation. I read that it takes only about 10 minutes to complete. This is not one you want to take a chance on. On the last two episodes of the podcast, I also mentioned ransomware attacks that have already occurred, and there's a suspicion that these were carried out through the vulnerability. So not confirmed as of yet, but that's the suspicion. There have been some reports that the Belgian Ministry of Defense has been hacked using the vulnerability. So don't rest on your laurels. BleepyComputer.com reported that the vulnerability is also being used to deploy something called the Drydex Banking Trojan. The Drydex malware is a banking trojan originally developed to steal online banking credentials from victims. However, over time, they say, the malware has evolved to be a loader that downloads various modules that could be used to perform different malicious behavior, such as installing additional payloads, spreading to other devices, taking screenshots, and more. Bleepit Computer goes on to suggest that the Drydex infections are also known to lead to ransomware attacks from operations believed to be linked to the Evil Corp hacking group. The report suggests that both Windows and Linux devices are being targeted with this Trojan. And to make them even worse, they report that the Drydex threat actors are known for using racial and religious slurs in their file names and URLs. And there's a screenshot that I'll show on the YouTube edition where these have been redacted. And they're pretty terrible, pretty vulgar and awful. And it just makes this group seem even worse. So as I've been saying over the last couple of episodes, obviously, if there's mitigations available for an affected service or application that you're 
relying on in your environment, put the mitigation in place. If there's a patch available, patch, uh, but also an extra layer of security that you can implement. There is an actively updated list of IP addresses detected as trying to exploit the log4j vulnerability. So it is a good idea to block these IP addresses too. And I'll share a link with this episode to that list that's being maintained. And this episode is 209 and you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 209. In rather massive news this week, it was reported by Healthcare IT News that Oracle will acquire electronic health record vendor Cerner for $28.3 billion. Oracle founder Larry Ellison stated, quote, Oracle's corporate mission expands to assume the responsibility to provide our overworked medical professionals with a new generation of easier-to-use digital tools that enable access to information via hands-free voice interface to secure cloud applications. End quote. A further statement regarding the acquisition suggested the acquisition will utilize Oracle's global footprint to reach new geographies faster. I guess it shouldn't come as a massive surprise as Cerner runs on Oracle databases already today and anyone working in healthcare knows that the database is the heart. It's the complete application pretty much of the EHR. Oracle have said that while no change is required on the database side, what will change is the user interface. They said they'll make Cerner systems much easier to learn and use by making Oracle's hands-free voice digital assistant, the primary interface to Cerner's clinical systems. So having worked in healthcare IT for the majority of my career thus far, I find that kind of interesting because the voice digital assistant, in my experience, hospitals are quite busy and noisy places. So they already have, or most hospitals, already give access to uh, dictation software for inputting text onto patients' charts and stuff like that. Uh, within the EHR and there's plenty of solutions like that that already work but because the hospitals are quite noisy and because physicians move from patient to patient and around the hospital all day long what I've found is they tend to take short notes and then go into the physician's lounge later and then dictate into the product so yeah I mean it's cool that they'll have that but I don't know if it's going to be all that revolutionary for a lot of healthcare workers already today. I also have to wonder how does this make Cerner customers feel and even Cerner employees? I hope it works out because our own health service here in Ireland is a Cerner customer. Also from the fringes to me it has seemed like Cerner had the best cloud offering as an EHR vendor. Also from talking to physicians in my last healthcare work environment where doctors would roam actually between different hospital systems and these different hospital systems used various different EHR applications like Meditech, Cerner, Epic, McKesson and so forth and all scripts or there's so many of them but having talked to physicians who have used various different ones what I'd heard from them is most prefer Epic as an EHR from a usability perspective but that there's certain things within Cerner, certain workflows using the out-of-the-box templates or whatever um, that are better within Cerner. So it'll be interesting to see how this works out, and I guess time will tell. 
Microsoft have warned customers to patch two Active Directory service privilege escalation security flaws that when combined allow attackers to easily take over Windows domains. These vulnerabilities that could be combined together are tracked as CVE-2021-42287 and 42278. LeapingComputer.com reports a proof-of-concept tool is online that can leverage these vulnerabilities, and it was shared widely on Twitter and GitHub on December 11th, so it's been out there for a while. The patches that you want to make sure that you have installed are KB5008102, 8380, and 8602. LeapingComputer.com also shared some helpful steps on how you can check to see if your AD has already been compromised, and I'll share that again with this episode. The Verge reported this week that the latest Windows 11 updates moves the advanced network settings option from control panel to the settings app, and they suggest that Microsoft have stated their intention to bring more of the settings available through the control panel today to the settings app in future. I get it, but damn it, change is hard. I find it really difficult to find stuff in the settings app. I also tried out Windows 11 on my business desktop in Windows 365 last week, and I immediately found it jarring that I couldn't get to task manager by right clicking on the taskbar and then just clicking on the resulting menu, or by using control out delete since that didn't pass through in the remote desktop client. I hate to say it, but I think I'm officially getting old. I'm finding it harder to adapt to these changes. The Hacker News reported that a malicious Android app called Joker has been put into an app called Color Message that has more than 500,000 downloads from the Google Play App Store and has been found hosting malware that stealthily exfiltrates users' contacts lists to an attacker-controlled server and signs up users to unwanted paid premium subscriptions without their knowledge. The app was observed to be simulating clicks in order to generate revenue from malicious ads and connecting to servers located in Russia. The Color Message app has been removed from the App Store now, but if you use that app, I'd guess it's probably a good step to go ahead and just remove that from your phone. I don't even know if that's going to make you safe. (laughs) I think if you've got it, you might need to wipe the phone. And finally, a new version of the very popular Fiddler tool for doing some of your network troubleshooting has now been made available. This is version 5.0.20211. Now, it's longer than that, but let's stick with that for the version. Some of the feature changes include a change to the name to the progress Telerik Fiddler Classic. They've added cross-origin headers to response header security section and throw HTTP protocol violation when a header name contains a space. There's also several fixes included within this version. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. This week I saw that Luke Evans did a festive tech calendar session on pimping your Windows terminal. If you haven't started using the Windows terminal yet, I really like it. I like having the command window or the command prompt, whatever you want to call it, and PowerShell within a combined single terminal. Plus, it's nice that you can make it like transparent and um, change the look and feel of the Windows. And cheap plug, 
Just a reminder that I also did a festive tech calendar session back on December 5th, and my session is on delivering applications to your Windows 365 desktops. And the replay is now available on the festive tech calendar YouTube channel. And it might also be easier if you just go to rorymon.com. You'll find it there too on my homepage. I saw that this week Aaron Parker has now got a new home for his awesome Visual C++ redistributable PowerShell module. He nabbed the vcredist.com domain. Nice. John Savills has a awesome YouTube video where he goes through Azure AD Kerberos, which is now in preview and I talked about it on a couple of different episodes of the podcast. And this is a pretty decent deep dive. And I saw that Tom Hinkling, who shared it on Twitter, suggested that this would get you ramped up in your knowledge if you want to try FS Logics in an Azure AD only scenario. The awesome David Wilkinson posted a blog on the Citrix WEM privilege elevation feature that I talked about on a previous episode of the podcast. But back then, when I talked about it, it was only available via Citrix Cloud. But now it is available via version 2.1.1.2 for on-prem customers. And this feature allows you to get very granular in allowing elevation only for processes that you deem appropriate, helping you to secure your environment. And finally, this week I saw that Mick Pletcher has a short blog post that's very useful and it shows you how you can install Windows Package Manager via a handy one-liner in PowerShell. Well, that's it for this week's episode. So next week, I'm going to cover some of the best stories or biggest stories that I've covered over the last year on the podcast. And also, as I do every year, I'll feature some of the best scripts, tricks, and tips from the last year too. And I'm pretty burned out with the Log4j stuff, so I promise that I'll keep it very short because I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention it briefly since it's such a big story, even though it came right at the end of the year. Well, that's it for this episode. If you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you don't, still have a great week. Happy holidays. And I'll catch you in the next episode.